0: This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a new friend of mine, Jim Crowell, coming in from Arizona. He is an expert in running health clubs, running studios, giving people some wisdom, and uh, has now become our our COVID-proofing authority (laughs) on the industry going forward. So, Jim, welcome to Halo Talks. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm I'm really looking forward forward to the conversation. This will be fun. Awesome. So, um, you know, before you talk about, you know, your consulting and, you know, some of the investing you've done and making sure that people succeed, why don't you, uh, you know, give us a little background that uh, you were like me, you know, a finance guy and and doing some energy trading. And I'm assuming that was probably financially rewarding and, 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 and socially meaningless, or, you know, maybe <laughs> not, not helping the world. So, um, I'm in the same boat. I feel like I'm, you know, even, uh, you know, when you put points up on the board, it's like, yeah, you know, all these thousands of people working out because of something that you, you know, help somebody tweak. So take take us back from the start. Yeah, I, I actually always kind of start with, I was uh,
1: kind of an athlete and a coach when I was really young. So back when I was 14, I was playing sports, I was coaching kids already, and I was also learning about the stock market and I was fascinated by, you know, typical story. Fast forward a little bit I, I went to school at Penn State, played tennis for Penn State and double majored in finance and economics, and never for one second thought that I wouldn't end up you know in investment banking or trading or something like that and I certainly think back then was probably you know, a large percentage about just the prestige of the industry. Um, but, you know, now at 37, which I am now, it's I, I'm fascinated by the ideas. But so I get out of Penn State, I go work for a hedge fund for five years and eye opening, you know, just absolutely eye opening into how money actually moves, how deals are actually done, how analysis actually takes place. And I really loved being in that world but I really felt pulled back into the athletic fitness you know related arena for sort of the reasons that you said I, I wanted to have maybe more one-to-one impact with people I thought that I could be successful doing anything you know that's maybe overly cocky but whatever um, you know and and so I, I ended up quitting in 2010 and moving back I was in Austin at that point I moved up to Pittsburgh and opened one of Uh, I ultimately had two gyms built those up and really understood what it takes to succeed in that arena. And we had a bunch of clients in the Pittsburgh area got really well known and then uh, ended up selling those in 2014 and came down to Arizona with the company that I actually just resigned from. Um, And for OPEX, what I was really doing was building out the structure of the company. I built out a bunch of the business education for health and wellness we had a one to one remote coaching company so i really understand what it takes to work with people online which now in this world is premium and just really enjoyed that built up a, you know anywhere from 50 to 75 gym affiliation program for opex as well and we're very well known in the individual design realm of coaching coaching clients so at this point, what, I, what I'm what i kind of doing now is I'm actually debating about what the next big step for me is, but I'm doing advising work right now. And I love working with companies and understanding health, wellness, fitness. And, you know, so when it was kind of time to talk to you guys, I thought it would be really interesting to sort of just hit on maybe some of those learnings that I've picked up sort of at the operator level, as well as the investor advisor level, because there's the industry really isn't that big, even though, the market size of it's growing very fast. So I I always kind of keep meeting or re-meeting the same types of people, right? You you see similar things done over and over and over and over again in this industry. But I do think particularly with COVID, a lot of deeply entrenched thoughts are going to shift pretty quickly
0: in this industry. And I think that, you know, people are going to have to be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, one of the perspectives we had when, when the shutdown happened in, you know, a number, I, I kind of say, you know, not even jokingly, you know, we kind of became entrepreneurial therapists over the last, you know, 162 days. Um, you know, but it basically forced a lot of these operators to say, hey, look, you know, I got this bricks and mortar business. And in the last several years, you know, most operators have been doing relatively well, just based on, you know, the economic condition and, you know, influx of more people, you know, trying to live a healthier lifestyle. But they kind of left some of the you know, digital and, and kind of thinking about like, what's the next phase of this kind of, you know, like, you know, like, like, a, you know, Gretzky as an example said, you know, I'm, I'm not, I always skate to where the puck's going. I don't kind of wait for the puck to come to me. So I feel like, you know, this pause in the business environments actually allow people to say, Hey, look that Peloton, you know, market, like it's actually, I own the member. I've actually got a relationship with them. Like, I don't have to seed that to them because I actually can do that. So, you know, maybe you want to start off kind of just talking about like COVID proofing, you know, clubs and you know some of your takeaways from what people are doing right, what people are doing wrong. You know, what you know, a little snapshot and uh, of how you think the, the new normal is going to be. And I think some of this actually, you know, like contactless check-in. Like it should have happened like five years ago, anyway. You know, so some of these things might be like a uh, important that it it happened. Unfortunately, the reason why it happened is, you know, not a good one, but, you know, we're innovating a little.
1: Yeah, I I think if we we go back, let's just go back to 2010 and and the massive emergence of boutique, particularly small group training that came out of it, mixed with, call it lifestyle, big box, lifetime types, type gyms, that model done all the way across the board some people did it very operationally efficiently other people did it very inefficiently but there was almost nobody that had a relationship with their client outside of the four walls of their facility Mm -hmm. and what we have seen is that if you didn't have a relationship with your client outside of your facility it was very difficult to create it when COVID hit and so what I think what we're going to see is I don't think that the brick-and-mortar gym business goes away, but I do think that the connection to the client is going to be much deeper outside of the gym. Whether that's a basic CRM system that helps with consistent accountability for small things like sleep and eating and drinking water and walking, etc., getting in the sun... I think if you have a gym, you need to be having that simple discussion with your clients, but you also need to bake into your model how you can have individual conversations with them. Like If you look at the group training facilities that were out there that were the quote-unquote darlings, they were the most operationally efficient, meaning... You got one coach for numerous people. You can't possibly speak to those folks one-to-one. I think that probably what we'll see is maybe this is the wrong word, but a slightly more unequal scenario emerge where prices might actually rise for people who can afford them, but the service level is going to be a lot more deep. And so if you can have a deeper service level, you can now work with people online, offline and build a brick and mortar and still touch them when they're not
0: there. One of the things that always kind of pissed me off to, to not, you know, mince words was, um, you know, you had a studio operator, had three or 400 members and, uh, you know, they'd call up and he'd say like, you know, here's what the data says. And, you know, I'm like, what do the people say? Like, yeah. you know, you only got three or 400 people to talk to, you know, and they're in and out. And, and, you know, one of the things Dave Gannel and I talk about a lot is, you know, people define their workouts and, you know, what they do probably is like probably the top five things that they say about themselves, you know, so like the importance of it. And then you you look at the price that they pay, you know, to be in that top five, you know, we agree that, you know, prices should increase and and results should increase, you know, in parallel with with what people do because, you know, it's part of their, their goals, their, you know, their daily routine. So how do you see, you know, the connectivity, not just, you know, somebody saying, oh, yeah, I got a, yeah, Jim, I got a CRM. Like, you know, I, I send out emails once a month and, oh, yeah, yeah, my, uh, if somebody, you know, doesn't show up for 90 days, it sends them out like an automatic drip campaign. Like, what's your response to, to those types of comments?
1: I still believe that the fitness business, if you're going to, to say that you're not a large box Globo Gym style chain, it's still down to a relationship. And if if you think that that's not the case, I, I would argue pretty hard on that because people need to make a decision every day to show up. And if you can't overcome the well, I'm interested in going to hang out with friends or colleagues in this facility, they're not going to show up. I mean, I think the data would probably support that. So you have to build, you know, certain gym chains call it communities, right? But you have to build connection with people at a deeper level than you might know their first name. And so an interesting thing is that in the, in the model that we built for OPEX, we worked one-to-one with those clients and we had a monthly consultation individually with each of the clients that was in the gym. Mm-hmm. Our gyms globally only lost 7% of their clients when COVID hit. And that was months after COVID had hit. So there was enough time to really get strong data on that. And many of the gyms now have more clients because they're able to say, we can onboard you digitally, or we can onboard you from anywhere. And then when we're able to reopen, you'll come into the gym and we can work that that relationship. I think that gyms need to actually build a relationship. And to your point, Pete, if you don't speak to somebody, if you, you know, there's only three or 400 people, you can know those folks. And ultimately your coaches should be assigned to know those folks you have to build an honest relationship with them because you can understand when the issues are going to arise. So I'm all for the drip campaigns, but i much prefer if you have a strategic and consistent way of speaking to them, whether it's in a consultation form or you do, you know, you reassess them, but sit down with them. And obviously I think you should get paid for it, you know, but you need to sit down with them to nurture that relationship so that you get ahead of the problems that would arise.
0: Yeah. Like i you know, before COVID, I was a, uh, a pretty, uh, adamant, uh, soul cycle, uh, you know, enthusiast and rider and, you know, at age 48, it probably makes up like 70% of my apparel at this point (laughs) from like my socks to my flip flops to, you know, my shirt that I'm wearing right now. But, um, you know, the thing that drove me crazy is I'm spending, I don't know, probably 900 bucks a month. Right. Doing, doing, you know, between my fiance and I like 30 classes a month. And like, I never walked, I walked in there 20 times a month, 15, 20 times a month. And no one ever asked me like, Hey man, what are you looking to achieve? Like, is that, like that's like a, the most simplistic question that I have no idea why that doesn't happen. Like every time you check in. And, and that's so like, like, I feel like we like got so far to like, yeah, I got a CRM. It's like, you have a relationship, like use the opportunity.
1: Yeah. And I, I think we're going to change what a really cool brand means coming out of COVID. That's so interesting. I, I think SoulCycle built a beautiful brand, but they didn't build a connective at the individual level. They built the community connective, right? So it's like you connected with SoulCycle, beautiful thing. But when something goes wrong, members leave. And you know, how are they going to get them back? There's no way of doing it. However, it didn't matter because they were they were the darling, you know, and so when that momentum's running, run it hot. But now the model won't work at all because you don't have the operational economics to get enough people into the room for it to work. Now, clearly you'll try to go online, but when they had those margins. I would argue that they could have put some better systems in place to get better retention at the unique client level, which would have then created, and this is all looking backwards, right? And which would have created better retention if something were to have gone wrong. I mean, I'm a big competitive advantage guy and their brand was important. But think about how many other spin studios built cool brands or think about berries or think about even orange theory. They're all cool brands, but what is the competitive advantage that keeps people there? You know, that, that was the harder part, you know? And so I think that this is what people are scrambling trying to figure out is how do we keep people engaged if they can come in or they have to be at home? And and that's a much harder question, but I do think that it comes down to, you know, you know, the, uh, Scott Galloway, I'm a fan of him, you know, from NYU. It's like, it's, it's the brain, the heart and the genitals, right? Like you got to figure out where you connect the best to, and you better just put everything behind creating a brand that does that, which to Cycle's credit, they did, but they just didn't necessarily support the individual, which didn't matter until, well, I think that there were some challenges before COVID, but you know, when COVID hit, that was really
0: tough. Yeah, so I got a soul cycle bike, so we'll stop picking on them because I'm taking a double after this uh, podcast. But anyway, and I definitely don't want to get blackballed by like not being able to go into a class. But ha- having said that, you know, I think um, you know, I want to get your perspective on something because you deal with a lot of companies that are, you know, operationally like they want to make some changes, but then it's all about like growth, 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 and you know, sometimes you know, growth is like a, a, a aid to say like, yeah, I'm growing the number of locations I have, but I'm not actually like kind of putting a mode around the ones that I already have. So it's almost like they're like, typically you'd have like an advanced team that would go in and do whatever it is. Or if we want to use like a military, you know, I got like the seals that go in there, they kind of like fortify the area. And then like, we bring everybody else in the back. And I feel like a lot of these management teams, whether it's because of private equity or venture capital, or like, you know, wanting to be able to say, yeah, I'm in X number of cities, or I got two locations in New York. And I'm like, I want to have two in LA. It's like, dude, you're going to like lose all your down on fucking JetBlue. blue. You know, yeah. like just stay in one place. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, when you think about, you know, advising people and they come to you with these grandiose ideas, you know, what are some of the tough conversations that you have or like, what's your approach to saying like, Hey, that, that growth, that's a great idea. Like in 2022.
1: I I think it's difficult for a lot of founders and early founding teams right now because they want to have the technology VC run that a lot of, uh, you know, the Googles of the world had, right? But when you're brick and mortar, you have to think about growth differently. And so if I'm thinking about building a brick and mortar business that will really work, I'm going to need to be very mindful about making sure that if I'm going to franchise this thing, I know exactly what it takes for this thing to succeed because I don't want in three years to saturate a market and then all of a sudden suck out a bunch of the early op- early adopters because they didn't win. I see people all the time getting in these franchises and there's some momentum behind it, but then the franchisor saturates a market and then all of a sudden the franchisees are basically left out to dry, having paid a significant amount of money to start this franchise. So if, if I'm advising somebody, I'm saying, what exactly makes this business, and let's just call it a brick and mortar you know, facility, mm-hmm. what makes this business sustainable and growable at, to your point, an EBITDA level that makes sense? And a lot of people, when I first ask them that question, have no answer. They just think, well, my brand is great, or my method is great, or my coaches are great, or my content is great. It's like, those are all good things. But that doesn't mean that you can put a thousand stores down and have a model that actually works in different cities. You know, I think that people just need to think about the timeline that they're using to create something really solid. Now, I kind of came out of the CrossFit world at one point. So, you know, they put 15,000 of those bad boys down, but look what's happening in this exact moment in CrossFit, right? You, it's, it's chaotic right now. And I think Eric Rose is a great person to come in and really take the reins on it, but that was just a complete libertarian, we don't give a shit what happens. You know, we're just going to, and that was great for the people who were highly capable, but I wouldn't, I would argue that that's not repeatable enough to have a brand that's going to work for a large percentage of the store owners.
0: Yeah, no, we, uh, that's one of the cases we go over in, uh, in the halo Academy. And it's like, if you don't have an exclusive territory, you know, you could wake up one day and you basically, you know, competing against either an ex trainer or somebody else that's using that brand. And it's like a, you know, it's like a Darwinian, you know, Death Star that you basically just like decided to like help them, you know, brand, you know, part of your community, you know, so do you help people actually identify like, Hey, here's a, here's a franchise and here's like the pros and cons of it. Do they typically have already bought a territory and, and a location and then You know, they say, Hey, you know, Jim can help me optimize what I'm doing or potentially make sure I don't lose my investment. When do you typically come into opportunities?
1: Uh, It it depends. And I want to be careful because I'm just kind of getting into this next stage. I've done this a bunch without being a formal consultant for businesses, but I'm now just starting to kind of move into that world because I just left my last business But typically where I'll come in is when people are just getting up and running and they realize very quickly, they don't know how to, to operate one of these facilities, or I'll come in after momentum has slowed because they're very clear that there's a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. So typically people aren't looking for consultants when they think everything's going well. Um, so that's where most of my conversations organically come from. And, And what I'll do with them is I'll just start asking them a lot of questions to see, what they understand about the game that they're playing. And I think that a lot of people get into these franchises not necessarily understanding the true game that they're playing. You know, so if right. you were if you were in, you know, an operational efficiency model, you know, orange theory f45 except, you know, or soul cycle for that matter, it's like you've got to put x number of people in that room all day every day to make the numbers that, you know, were promised to you essentially. Right. And so what is the size of that market a lot of people didn't look at that initially how are you going to attract that many people and keep them in the business a lot of people didn't look at that initially you know the technology until very recently was was very weak on specific retention statistics and specific lifetime values of clients and when people might leave i've seen some stuff that's coming out that's interesting on predicting you know, when people will churn out or predicting what your average lifetime client or lifetime value will be per each type of client in different buckets. That's interesting to me that I think all franchises, franchisors should look at, but typically people don't reach out at all until there's a problem. And that's, that's when I'm brought in just because I've got so many different experiences in the industry.
0: Yeah. I think sometimes people come out way too late and, you know, like raise their hand and think that, you know, you could be uh, coming in like that, like bar rescue guy on yeah. uh, on TV and be like, yeah, let me just come in here. I'll repaint a couple of things, tweak a couple of things. And you're, you're off and running. Sometimes it's usually, you know, a lot deeper and, you know, trying to understand the special sauce and then <laughs> trying to make sure like you get back or, you you know, you focus on the instructors. I mean, it's interesting. We were talking about, you know, talent related to, brands and then some owners thinking like, okay, the brand is more important than the instructor or, you know, or the time is more important than the instructor. So do you think in COVID you know, post COVID that there's going to be somewhat of like a reawakening that, you know, your instructor that's got a relationship with, you know, 50 or hundred or 200 of your members, you know, we used to say back in the day, jumping around, I used to be a counselor at a camp in a summer camp and you say a happy counselor makes a happy camp because if the counselor have it, the kids are going to be happy. So do you kind of see maybe like a reawakening of, you know, not saying like, yeah, I pay this guy 35 bucks to teach a class or 40 bucks. And they basically try and maybe have a little more appreciation for like the live entertainment that's actually being put forth.
1: You You mentioned Peloton and I think it's an interesting example because of the building that they're building. To house their content. And I think that's going to be really unique to the industry. I'm a believer that the influencers are going to yield a lot more power than, I shouldn't say yield, sorry, wield a lot more power than they used to, because they're the ones with the direct relationship to the end consumer. So I think that brands are beautiful for eyeballs right now, but the people delivering those classes and creating the experience that really emotionally resonates with the end consumer are going to matter an awful lot. And I think that you're seeing that with the, the, the high Instagram follower influencers, they're getting paid well for what they're doing. Right. But if you can't create that type of an environment, you're going to have no value. And, and so I think that you're going to see a lot of digital platforms built up where these influencers are going to teach classes of 4,000 No 5,000 people because they are that energetic with the exact service that they offer. And then the brand of Peloton is where all the eyeballs will come from. And I know I'm just, I'm going very black and white, but if you don't have that connection to a coach, trainer, group instructor, whatever you want to call it, people don't stay. They just don't. And so you have to have people who can deliver the exact methodology, you know, the exact methodology that you wanted to deliver with high energy and high connection. And when you do that, that has that has worked very well, brick and mortar, online, whatever. Um, and there's a lot of ways that you can have the main instructor leading the room with additional instructors that are checking form and connecting with people one-to-one during the class. I think that's really important when those classes get very big. But I actually think that you're going to see digital classrooms or group training rooms that ultimately become tribal and they create accountability for small groups so i've been saying this forever i think yoga has a serious problem in person because you could put six people inside of your living room on the mirror watching a yoga class and all of a sudden it's like we feel just as good and connected to our group of you know close friends and we have the best yoga instructor in the world teaching us a class you know so i think that you know. It's like it, it comes down to uh, structural economics, right? It's like yoga is the cheapest thing in the world to deliver because you need a room. You know that that's it, right? You know, so I've I've seen yoga on dirty old carpets, on wood floors, on con- it doesn't matter, outside in the grass, and so you have to ask yourself what made people come. It's always the instructor, right? You know, exactly. and so does it help if they can maneuver people? You know, in poses, sure. But I don't mm-hmm. think that that's the most important thing.
0: So, so two things that have come out, and and some of them have come out of uh, some podcasts that we've had. Like we had a guy who was, um, you know, pretty pretty overweight, and said, you know, look, the reason why I don't come to a health club anymore, a studio, is because you guys don't make it fun. Like I play tennis because it's fun, and then you know I come in and you say I'm going to lose 25 pounds in like four weeks and I'm like, bro, it's not happening. So like, let me just walk out of here and kind of put my head back in my, you know, into my chest and like go play tennis. So, you know, do you think maybe we have to kind of rethink the messaging and maybe we got a little too complicated about what we're doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot
1: of fitness brands attract people who already do fitness. And I think that that's wonderful, right? Because if you've got a better mousetrap, why not attract those people? But I do think that the massive success stories that all of these brands should, you know, talk about, there are fewer numbers of people than you might think per percentage of their population in the gym. And so I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't know, maybe a, a purposeful thinker, right? Like, I don't want somebody to come into the gym unless they want to be there. And when I own gyms, I try to make that really clear to people. It's like if you don't want to be here, that's fine, you know what I mean? But I only want you to show up when you think that what we do is fun. Right. You know, and so lots of different people find lots of different things fun. You like soul cycle, some people like running around a mountain, some people like swimming. I think that all of that can be a beautiful way for somebody to get healthy. There just needs to be some structure around how they do it so that they build great consistency of their habits. And I think that's when maybe where people, you know, run off the tracks is that they do something for a couple of weeks and then they stop and it's like, okay, well, that's clearly not going to work. If you do, like if, if you're the person on the podcast, if they played tennis, you know, four weeks every day and they ate a sensible diet, they would probably lose a couple pounds. Yeah. You know, clearly. do I think 25? Probably not. But you know, that's, that's a lifestyle. They got to choose a lifestyle if they want to go in that
0: direction. So, you know, in in closing here, a a couple of things, one is, you know, have you been able to convince um, operators that you've worked with or some of the conversations you're having now to basically say like the bricks and mortar of your business is, is part of your business and it's not your business. Like, I feel like a lot of these companies, a lot of these, a lot of these owners and a lot of these instructors are the authority in like they three to five mile radius yet. They don't really market it that way. And they think that you have to walk in in order to, to have this relationship. I don't know. It might be an open-ended question, just a comment, but you know, what, what are your thoughts on like trying to say, hey, look, everyone that wants to lose weight or everybody wants to have fun in these, in this five mile radius, like is a potential client?
1: Yes. <laughs> so okay. all, all of that to say, yes. Um, I, I think that, If you're a local gym owner, you have to focus a ton of effort on your local area. It's not worth trying to build a global brand. It won't work. But if you can build a really well-known local brand, yes, much of that will be done digitally. But going to events, meeting people at coffee shops, partnering and sponsoring things, really getting to know the people around you, that is real influence. And so I think if you can develop that, and I I said this to you before we started, content is king. Like, what are you sending out to the world that they want to consume? You know, it's like, if I send out something about the anatomy, you know, that makes me more fit than you, it's like, these clients don't care about that. That's not what they care about on a daily basis. They want to look good, move move well, have no pain, right? And have fun. And so if, if you can send them out content and project yourself out to your community to be the pillar of that, they will naturally be attracted to you. And so I think that's really important. On the COVID side, I think you have no choice but to have a digital component of your business just in case. Um, I think whether we're talking vaccine or whatever, we're in the COVID era for a while and you had better protect yourself effectively. And then the kind of last piece that I think is at least important, and I've just been on enough of these podcasts to just say it bluntly most of these local operators don't do sales or marketing well at all or choose not to do it at all. And that is brutal to their longevity. Now, I'm I'm not saying that they don't also need to do the retention side. I always have said acquisition and retention are just as important, but you have to go out and grab people and bring them into you. You can't just assume they're going to show
0: up. Got it. So you got any, uh, in closing here, you got any, uh, quotes that you live by or things that are, uh, Quar- <laughs> Um, I, I love the quote that you have to see the whole board.
1: Um, I, I love thinking strategically, but if you don't understand the system with which you play in, then you can't understand how the board should even be set up. So I, I love that. And then I've always loved, since I was a kid, um, obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off the goal I'm I'm a very kind of black and white like if I'm going to go after something
0: I'm going all in and and I think that uh, that's always worked for me awesome alright man well uh, it was great connecting with you I think this podcast will be really valuable for people to think better about their business think about the new board that they're playing with and um, let's hit some goals and help more and more people so look forward to meeting you in person and yeah, uh, you know maybe we'll see you in the academy as well so yeah, Thanks sounds great, on. guys. Thanks All for right, having man. me. I appreciate it. Yeah, good, 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 to, good, 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 good to meet you, buddy. Good. All right. thank <laughs> you. Later, buddy. This is Pete Moore. As you know, I am a big believer in personal development. I got a time saving opportunity here for you recommending Dan Millman's Four Purposes of Life. Go to audible.com forward slash halo talks. You want to register there? Get a free audio book. It's fourteen ninety-five a month thereafter. Giving you things that I do to make myself better, and hopefully it makes you better. Go Halo. Let's play to win.